Good evening, my friends, and welcome to Hitchens on Horror. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you're listening to our series of 12 Nights of Terror, where we explore the very best in holiday fear. This is night number seven, Misery. So, my friends, welcome back, and we're going to take a little break from Killer Santa Clauses in our 12 Nights of Terror series. We're going to talk about Misery, uh, based on the great novel by Stephen King and uh, written, uh, the screenplay written by William Goldman, the film directed by Rob Reiner, and starring James Caan and Kathy Bates. Released in 1990, this film was made on a budget of $20 million, and it was a huge box office hit. It made $61.3 million. It was released on November 30th, 1990, um, which I think is a perfect time to release this film because it is a film of winter, um, perfect to watch during the Christmas season. So I myself have... Uh, a really sentimental attachment to uh, both the book and the film of Misery, uh, because when I was, I think, in uh, middle school, uh, one winter it was uh, snowing outside and I was sick with the flu, and my mom asked me if I wanted anything, and I said I would really love to read Misery by Stephen King, um, because I had gotten really into reading Stephen King books by that time in my life, and she uh, was going to the local Walmart to do some gro- get some groceries, and by happy chance, the local Walmart had a copy of Stephen King's Misery, um, and she brought it back for me, and the copy of Misery that I had was um, one of the Bantam reprintings of Stephen King books that um, were out in the 1990s, and I vividly remember the cover had, you know, the title and also a bunch of large snowflakes on it. And me, in my sick-with-the-flu state, I laid in my bed and started reading Misery by Stephen King, and I did not stop until I finished it. I read it all in one sitting. Uh, I think it is one of Stephen King's greatest books, and one of his most personal as well. Uh, As I mentioned in a previous episode uh, a couple nights ago when we were talking about uh, the Stanley Kubrick adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining, uh, Stephen King had a really personal relationship with The Shining because it depicts a father who is dealing with alcoholism as Stephen King did himself during the 70s and 80s. Um, both uh, He uh, dealt with both alcohol and cocaine abuse. And he writes about the genesis of the novel Mystery, uh, Misery, excuse me, um, pretty extensively in his memoir On Writing, um, which is a book I highly recommend. It's kind of an autobiography slash, um, you know, uh, how how to be a, a good writer. Um, great book. But uh, Stephen King writes in On Writing about Misery, he says, Take the psychotic nurse in Misery, which I wrote when I was having such a tough time with dope. I knew what I was writing about. There was never any question. 
Annie was my drug problem, and she was my number one fan. God, she never wanted to leave. And how Misery got started is from a dream that Stephen King had while he was um, on an airplane. And he woke up from this dream, and he was so excited about this idea that he wrote down what he could remember from the dream on a napkin. And this is what he originally wrote. This is the seed that misery grew from. He wrote, She speaks earnestly, but never quite makes eye contact. A big woman and solid all through. She is an absence of hiatus. I wasn't trying to be funny in a mean way when I named my pig Misery. No, sir, please don't think that. No, I named her in the spirit of fan love, which is the purest love there is. You should be flattered. After that flight, which both Stephen King and his wife Tabitha were on, they landed in London and went to a hotel, and Stephen King uh, uh, went to the concierge and asked for uh, if there was a notebook he could have and a a quiet place where he could write. And the concierge gave Stephen King uh, a notebook and sat and led Stephen King to an old, beautiful desk. And the concierge said, this desk was owned by Rudyard Kipling, and he died of a stroke while writing at this desk, which... Stephen King thought was a really interesting sort of free song. And the and he started writing that night. He wrote 16 pages of the book without stopping. And the book was originally going to be a novella called the Annie Wilkes edition. And in Stephen King's original conception for the Annie Wilkes edition, uh, the writer Paul Sheldon would not survive um, in the end, that Annie would, after Paul had completed his manuscript, Annie would kill him and feed him to her pet pig misery, and then she would bind her copy of Paul's book uh, in Paul's skin, um, hence the title, The Annie Wilkes Edition. But as Stephen King started writing more and more and more, he was surprised by the depth of Annie Wilkes. Um, that, and he, he said often that she was the character that surprised him the most while writing, that, you know, he originally conceived of her as just this crazy, psychotic person, but she kept becoming more and more complex and sympathetic as he went on. And so the book grew into what we now know as the novel Misery. And Stephen King writes uh, in his book on writing about the change from the Annie Wilkes edition to Misery. It would have made a pretty good story, not such a good novel, however. No one likes to root for a guy over the course of 300 pages, only to discover that between chapters 16 and 17 the pig ate him. But that wasn't the way things eventually went. Paul Sheldon turned out to be a good deal more resourceful than I initially thought, and his efforts to play Scheherazade and save his life gave me a chance to say some things about the redemptive power of writing that I had long felt but never articulated. And so I think that's a really powerful thing when you consider that you know, Stephen King says that the character of Annie Wilkes, who's keeping Paul Sheldon captive, is 
um, a symbol for Stephen King's own addiction and that in his original conception for the novel, his addiction, a.k.a. Annie Wilkes, would kill him. But as Stephen King wrote and wrote the novel that would become Misery, he has his main character, hero, Paul Sheldon, defeat Annie Wilkes, as Stephen King would eventually, not too long after Misery was published, uh, defeat his own addiction and finally get sober. So that is the background of the writing of Misery, the novel. And King, because this was such a personal story for him, was very reluctant initially to have the book adapted for film because he had been disappointed with most of the film adaptations of his work and he didn't want this one, Misery, to be ruined on screen, as he famously and very loudly thought The Shining had been ruined by Stanley Kubrick in his 1980 movie. Um, and we talked about King's feelings about that in The Shining episode. But Stephen King finally relented and um, allowed the book to be made into a film because the film was going to be directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, and Rob Reiner had made the film uh, the film Stand By Me, which is an adaptation of Stephen King's novella, The Body. And Stand By Me is one of Stephen King's favorite adaptations of his work. So once he learned that Rob Reiner was going to be the director of the potential misery film, he said yes. And Rob Reiner, the director, also had a really personal connection to the story of misery as well. Because misery main character, Paul Sheldon, is a writer who has become hugely famous and hugely rich for writing a series of romance novels um, set in the Victorian era with a, a heroine named Misery who undergoes all sorts of um, traumas and travails over the course of many series of books. But Paul Sheldon is sick of writing these romance novels that made his name. He wants to do something different, something more true to his art, his artistic talent. And so he's written a new book to try and break away from that form, break away from the artist that people know him as and become something truer to himself. And Rob Reiner said that that was his huge identification with Misery as well, because Rob Reiner, of course, came to international fame and attention by starring in the sitcom All in the Family in the 1970s and early 1980s. And after All in the Family was finished, Rob Reiner felt that uh, people, the world saw him in a certain way, and he was trying to find ways uh, to get the public to reconsider who he was as an artist and what he was capable of. And both Stand By Me and especially Misery, those two films, really remade Rob Reiner's reputation. He became an extremely respected director because of these two films. Um, and Rob Reiner had never directed a psychological thriller slash horror film before. So what he did in preparation to direct Misery is he watched every single movie Alfred Hitchcock ever made to study Hitchcock's techniques and how he crafted suspense uh, and, all, and all of that. Um, and Rob Reiner's identification with Hitchcock was, and try, trying to emulate Hitchcock, in Misery was so pronounced that 
Uh, James Caan, the actor who plays Paul Sheldon in the film, once heard Rob Reiner pacing around the set muttering to himself, oh, who do you think you are, Alfred Hitchcock? Um, and the fact that this is Rob Reiner's first horror film, first suspense film, you'd never know uh, watching the movie because it is exquisitely directed by him with a great, great screenplay by William Goldman, um, who, of course, is one of the most respected and awarded screenwriters of all time. Um, he won two Academy Awards for Best Screenplay, both for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and All the President's Men, and he did a great adaptation of Stephen King's book. And this movie really has... A dream cast. It's a very small movie. It's a cha it's a chamber piece, uh, but it, it the cast is perfection. Uh, in the very smallest role in the film, uh, the role of Paul Sheldon's um, literary agent, you have Hollywood legend Lauren Bacall, who is always compelling to watch on screen in whatever she does or uh, did, uh, and then you have. Two characters that were invented for the film, uh, the sheriff and the sheriff's wife. They're not in Stephen King's book, but William Goldman added them to the movie. And I think it's a great idea because it gives you, uh, the audience, a respite from what's going on between Paul Sheldon and Annie Wilkes and all the tension and terror that is generated by that. Uh, in So with the sheriff and the sheriff's wife, you get a, a little bit of comic relief, a little bit of relief from that uh, mounting dread and horror. And the sheriff is played by the great, great actor Richard Farnsworth, um, who also delivered a great performance um, near the end of his life in David Lynch's film The Straight Story and was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor for it. I think the oldest person nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role uh, at the time. Uh, and Richard Farnsworth made the straight story while he was suffering from cancer. Um, and shortly after the straight story was released and had received lots of attention, once that um, hype had gone, uh, Richard Farnsworth um, took his own life um, rather than ling linger and uh, die long, painful death from cancer. Um, it's very sad, but he was a tremendously great actor and is great in this film. And his wife is played by the wonderful Frances Sternhagen. Um, Frances Sternhagen is one of those great character actors, primarily known for her theater roles, had a long and distinguished career in both regional and Broadway theater. Uh, she's perhaps most famously known to the general public for playing um, Kyle MacLachlan's mother uh, in a few seasons of Sex and the City, um, uh, who and Charlotte, played by Kristen Davis, marries Kyle MacLachlan's character, and her mother-in-law is played by Frances Sternhagen, who is very stern and imperious and hilarious, uh, and she is just as hilarious and as wonderful in the film version of Misery as well as the sheriff's wife. So those three actors, Lauren Bacall, Richard Farnsworth, and Francis Sternhagen, although they don't have that much to do in the film, they really enrich the movie tremendously. And that brings us to the leading actors in Misery, uh, James Caan as Paul Sheldon and Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes. Um, 
So the character of Paul Sheldon is really in, is really interesting in terms of the production of this film because the role of Paul Sheldon was offered to pretty much every major um, Hollywood actor of the correct age at the time, and they all turned it down um, because they thought that the whoever played Annie Wilkes was going to outshine them. Um, and they weren't right. They, they weren't incorrect about that. Um, the actors that turned down the role of Paul Sheldon, I'll read you the list, are William Hurt, who actually turned this movie down twice, Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfuss, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, and Warren Beatty. All of those tremendously great actors said no to this role. Uh, but James Caan finally agreed to play the part um, because he recognized something that the other people offered this role did not, that the role of Paul Sheldon offered a really rich acting opportunity, you know, to play a character who for almost the entire film is immobilized in a bed because his legs are broken uh, and really can only act with his face and his voice and his eyes. Um, and James Caan, of course, is most famous for his role of Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, who's, who's hot-headed and very violent, very, you know, action-oriented. And so James Caan recognized that Misery would be a wonderful chance to expand the idea of what people thought he could do as an actor. Um, much the way Rob Reiner wanted to do this movie to expand the idea of what people thought of him as an actor and a director. Um, and James Caan is really phenomenal as Paul Sheldon. I think doesn't get really the credit he deserves um, because Kathy Bates. <laughs> and we'll get to her in a minute. Uh, but James Caan is so believable in this part, and partly because of who... He, is, he was as a person, how he was perceived, and that folks' idea of James Caan is of someone very active and virile, um, you know, very take charge. And so to have James Caan forced to just lay there and be helpless and grapple with that is really, really interesting and exciting to watch um, as a performer. Uh, and he also has a great charm to him as well, which I think is also incredibly important to the role because, as Stephen King put it, Paul Sheldon really becomes Scheherazade as he spins his tale, writes his book for Annie um, to keep himself alive um, and also to charm her with the fact that he might perhaps be falling in love with her. He makes her believe it, makes the audience believe it too. Um, James Caan, truly wonderful as Paul Sheldon in this film. Okay, now we're going to talk about Annie Wilkes, um, which is what brings most people to watch this movie, because Annie Wilkes in this film is played by the legendarily great actor Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates was not the original choice for Annie Wilkes, um, which isn't surprising because she was, rel she was relatively unknown 
at the time. She had been, uh, had roles in a couple movies before. Um, she was in Robert Altman's uh, film, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, reprising the role that she had uh, portrayed in the play on stage on Broadway. That's a really underrated film. Doesn't get the credit it deserves. But anyway, uh, but Kathy Bates was primarily known and hugely respected um, for her stage work in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, the Terrence McNally play Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune was written for Kathy Bates. Um, and then Michelle Pfeiffer played the character when it, the play was made into a movie. Uh, so she lost that role. Uh, she also received a Tony Award nomination for Best Actress in a play uh, for Night Mother. Um, and again, when Night Mother was made into a film, Kathy Bates didn't get to play that part. Sissy Spacex did. Sissy, uh, Sissy Spacex did. Uh, so she wasn't really on anyone's radar at the time that casting for Misery was happening. Originally, the role of Annie Wilkes was offered to Angelica Houston, uh, who had won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in the 1980s for Preetzi's Honor. Um, Angelica Houston, of course, went on to become hugely famous as Morticia Adams in the Adams Family movies, among many other great roles, um, including The Grifters, which is another movie that I don't think enough people remember today. She's so fucking good in that. Uh, and as the Grand High Witch in uh, the 1990s adaptation of The Witches, uh, based on the book by Roald Dahl. But Angelica Houston turned down the part of Annie Wilkes. Uh, then they offered the part of Annie Wilkes to Bette Midler, who also turned it down. Uh, and Bette Midler later said that her decision to turn down the role was stupid. She hugely regretted it. And I find it really fascinating to try and imagine Bette Midler in the role of Annie Wilkes. And the more you think about it, the more I think you can see it working. It would have been... Similarly for James Kahn, a huge about-face um, in terms of roles that people expected Bette Midler to play. But Bette Midler is a really great actress in her own right, and I bet she could have pulled it off. Probably would have won the Oscar, too. Um, so I understand her regret at turning it down. Um, what an interesting thing that would be to see. But luckily enough for all of us... Uh, William Goldman, the screenwriter who was familiar with the stage work of Kathy Bates, suggested her to Rob Reiner, and Kathy Bates was finally cast in the role. And Kathy Bates went on to become part of a very, very select group of people who have won Oscars for roles in horror movies. The only other people who have won Oscars um, for horror movie roles are Frederick March for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Ruth Gordon for Rosemary's Baby, then Kathy Bates, um, and then both Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster for The F uh, Silence of the Lambs, and most recently, Natalie Portman for Black Swan. Black Swan would also be, I'd argue, a great a great movie to include in your 12 Nights of Terror Christmas viewing. Um, it has that holiday feel to it. Kathy Bates, I mean, she's gone on to give 
dozens and dozens and dozens of incredible performances since Misery, but there's something really special about watching her in this film, in her big breakout role, uh, because no one knew who she was. Uh, so you're just watching this great, great stage actor have her first big chance in a leading role in a movie and absolutely knocking it out of the park. And Kathy Bates's win for Best Actress at the Academy Awards, I think, is one of those few Academy Award wins that is just undeniable. When you watch the film, you can't imagine that she wouldn't win an Oscar for this work. Um, she is, makes Annie Wilkes so incredibly believable as a human being. She is deeply complex. She is sweet. She is shy. She is terrifying. She is sad. She is in love. She is enraged. She really covers the entire spectrum of emotion in one character, and that's a really rare thing to see. And I think... One of the most fascinating things about watching Kathy Bates's work as Annie Wilkes is that depending on the scene and sometimes within a single scene, she appears to be playing completely different people. Um, there have been psychiatrists who have said that Kathy Bates's portrayal of Annie Wilkes is one of the most accurate depictions of mental illness seen on screen. Um, and I, the scene that always sticks out to me is the scene when she comes to Paul in the middle of the night. And by this time in the movie, we've gotten, we've seen like Annie, like be kind of go crazy, go crazy, and lose her mind and and rage, and then pull back from it and be sweet again. But I think the scene that always sticks out to me is the scene when she comes to Paul, and she's just completely lost in depression like all of the light is gone from her eyes and she speaks and there's just nothing there and she has a gun and she has a gun um threat and says she might use it on herself might use it on paul and then decides to go away to her laughing place the place she goes when she is having um a mental break and I think that that's the scene that huge that I find unforgettable that I return to again and again because you've seen this character who has displayed full spectrum of emotions all these very very strong passionate feelings and then this one scene she's just a blank and there's nothing there and I think it's a it's a great and very truthful depiction of depression really um Kathy Bates uh in when, as she was filming this role, because she you know was used to stay was used to stage acting, really loved rehearsal. Really needed that rehearsal time, you know, to feel like she was doing her best. Whereas James Kahn was primarily a film actor. He didn't like to rehearse at all. He just wanted to have the cameras turn on and do it. Uh, so this created a little bit of tension between them as actors, which really feeds the movie. Um, and so what Rob Reiner did as director is he sort of um, split the difference um, that they did have some rehearsals, um, not nearly as many rehearsals as Kathy Bates wanted, and 
much more rehearsal than James Kahn wanted, but that way he sort of met both of their needs, um, but left both of them a little dissatisfied, which I think is why the scenes between the two of them just crackle uh, when they're on screen. And I think the most horrific uh, moment in the film version of Misery, the moment everybody remembers, is the hobbling scene. Uh, in the book, uh, it's a little bit different. In the book, Annie actually cuts off one of Paul's feet with an axe and then cauterizes the stump. Uh, but both Rob Reiner and screenwriter William Goldman thought that this would be too graphic to show on screen and would make Annie totally unsympathetic after that moment. Uh, so I, this is one of those instances when I think the book was changed for the better because it's such a horrifying scene to look at. Just the tension of it when uh, Annie Wilkes puts the wooden block in between Paul's ankles and she's got a sledgehammer, and you see her bring that sledgehammer, and you see one of Paul's feet just go sideways as she breaks his ankles, and you don't see her break the second one, you just hear it, and that's horrific enough. And Kathy Bates does this completely serene, and, af and after she's broken both his ankles, hobbling him, the camera just quickly zooms up on her face, and she says, God, I love you. Oh, God. Oh, it's so good. It's her so horrific. Um, one scene that was filmed for Misery, a uh, scene from the book that was subsequently cut from the movie, never shown to anyone, was a scene where there's a younger police officer who comes to Annie Wilkes' farm uh, looking for Paul Sheldon, and she kills the police officer by running over him repeatedly with a lawnmower. And Rob Reiner thought it would be too comedic, um, so he cut it from the film. Kathy Bates was very sad about that, and I'm very sad about that too, um, because God, oh, the, what I wouldn't pay to be able to see the or the film scene of Kathy Bates' Annie Wilkes running over a policeman with a lawnmower. <laughs> um, sure, it was a hoot. They're probably right to cut it in terms of tone, but Oh, I wish they would release it as a deleted scene, but they haven't. Um, and like I said at the beginning, Misery is a film of winter. It, o it opens in, in a blizzard in which Paul Sheldon gets into his accident and is rescued by Annie Wilkes. And you see the, re the, the snow and the winter all throughout this movie. And it is obviously a movie about confinement, about... You know, with the harsh weather outside, no way to get anywhere, and there's nothing to do but stay inside and try to find ways to amuse yourself, try to stay alive if you're Paul Sheldon. Uh, so I think it counts as a Christmas movie. Um, I'll, I'll die on that hill. I think, I think it's a great movie to watch for Christmas. And like I said in the last episode, you got to mix it up a little bit. You know, if we did... Just movies about killer Santa Clauses, it'd get boring real quick. But there are lots of other movies that are Christmas-themed or Christmas-adjacent that are a delight to watch during this holiday season. Uh, so where can you watch the film version of Misery? You can uh, stream Misery on HBO Max, uh, which is HBO streaming service, which is a little pricey. I think it's $14.99 a month, but they really do have great, great um, 
selection on there. Really quality movies and TV series. So I'd say it's worth subscribing for a month. Um, and I think I neglected to mention it, but uh, HBO Max is also the only place online where you can legally stream uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining as well. So for both Misery and The Shining, uh, HBO Max is your go-to for seeing those two great, one of the two greatest film adaptations of the work of Stephen King. My friends, thank you for listening to Hitchens on Horror and our series 12 Nights of Terror Exploring the Best in Holiday Fear. And for our next episode, we're going to get a little crazy. We're going to be watching Jack Frost from 1997. No, no, not the children's movie Jack Frost. This is the other Jack Frost, released in the 1990s, about a serial killer who is somehow reincarnated as a snowman and then goes on a rampage. My goodness, it is bizarre and hilarious and chilling, no pun intended, and that's going to be our next installment on 12 Nights of Terror. Until then, my friends, happy holidays and pleasant dreams. (laughs) 